0: How are you all doing this morning? Good, good, good. Well, it's good to be back with you, and I always love uh, coming this direction because family is here, and uh, more of our family has come for this service, so uh, that's, that makes it special for me, and I uh, enjoy being with, uh, maybe some of you don't know, but uh, Pastor Mark's my brother-in-law, and so I happened to marry his sister, and uh, I'm still thankful that I did. Amen. We just had our 22nd anniversary, and uh, nowadays that's almost something to be applauded about, but you know, I didn't ask you to do that. I'm just, I'm just saying the way that the world has changed, you know, uh, uh, anymore you stay with somebody for 20 years, people think, wow, but, but back in, you know, years ago, um, no one really thought about changing. Today, people just change with the wind, don't they? Well, that kind of fits in a little bit with what we're going to talk about today, because uh, how many of you uh, agree with the fact that uh, most likely, with the world changing as much as it has, that possibly all those changes aren't good? Uh, I think we can all agree upon that, and what's the possibility that the changes we see in the world have infiltrated themselves into the church? What's that possibility? And so uh, as much as we love the Lord and we come here to learn the things that we learn, even the services that we might feel like have encouraged us the most with, with some of the wonderments of Jesus and you leave feeling so blessed, oh man, what the Lord did for me. But the possibility is we take it back out into our real reality because this is just a place where we, we, we do service, where we do church. The potential is we take it back out into what we call the real world, And then taking the wonderment of Jesus into the real world where possibly we're spinning in compromise the way the world is. There's nothing really absolute about the world anymore, is there? No, no, no. Really, the two major cuss words in the world today, and especially the church, are responsibility and accountability. Those are things we're endeavoring. The world is endeavoring to eliminate the idea that anybody has to be accountable or responsible for anything. So you can do whatever you want to, and, and, and people will cover it and smooth it over, brush it underneath the rug, and then just go on. And that drastically affects the way that you can do church, the way that you can do God, the way that you can experience Him, because God is extremely absolute. Now, I'm just sharing with you in these last couple of seconds, I've not yet begun to, you know, kind of preach what we're preaching this morning, but I'm sharing with you the last couple of years of what I've been experiencing personally. And I've had to repent. Now, repent doesn't mean come down to the altar and cry your eyes out. Repent means I'd have to change the way that I see things and change my direction. You know, when you look in Scripture at some of the course corrections that God gave, like it's only uh, Genesis chapter 6, you know, and all of a sudden God's having to find one righteous man on the earth because the earth was, was practicing evil continually and he has to do away with everybody. Well, look how drastic that is. What does that say? That says people had already, within a short amount of time, had literally changed directions of the way God does things until they were 180 degrees, full force, the opposite way. And God had to cut that off to get people to come back to center. And Jesus brought us to center. And the world hated him because what he brought to center was, we are sons of a Father that is in heaven, and you can have it. And that's what they crucified him for, not because of his miracles, but because he, being a man, said that his dad was God, which made him the son of God. So, what's the possibility after the last two thousand years? Things have spun enough where maybe what we think is isn't. Maybe what we think is up is down. I mean, how would you like to, you know, talk to a first-century individual that said when you said I'm going to go up the stairs, they said up the stairs that's down the stairs. What do you mean it's down the stairs? Well, that's down the stairs. Well, no, it's up the stairs. In 2013, it's up there. Well, when did it change? What do you mean? It's always been up the stairs. Well, no, it was always down the stairs. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, what? Could things have changed that drastically? The fact that the church has not experienced what it should says there must be change that is evolved in the church that is not conducive to finding God. Would you agree? Well, these are the kind of things the Lord's been showing me, and it doesn't cause me to not be excited about hearing a message about being in Christ and having authority in the church, but what it does is it causes me to want to know why, with those messages, I still don't have all my prayers answered, I'm still not experiencing the voice of God as loudly or as normally as I should, and I'm still not walking with God as clearly and as evident as I should. And so for the last couple of years, I found myself changing the way I see things. And it's brought God into, come on, if you've got that camera and you're thinking, man, everything's fuzzy, well, then do what? Focus it. And it's like, oh, well, there's clarity. And that's exactly what we're here to talk about this morning. Is the spirit world real? Is it something so far beyond us that when we all get to heaven, What a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Come on, that's what I sang all my life, which says what? It's going to be real difficult down here, but someday when we get there, we're going to see him. How many of you know the spirit world is right here right now? It's intermingled with that which is of this realm. That realm is here too. God isn't far away. God's right here. How come I don't see him? Well, if God's right here and I don't see him, it must be because I'm looking at something other. Right? All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. I got all revved up in the first service, so sorry. I'm I'm going a little, you know, I'm going 100 miles an hour, popped a couple clutches, and, you know, I'm just just ready to go. So I'll I'll back up just a little bit and and say... uh, You know, it is really great to be with you this morning, and I I just trust that you'll just hone into everything that's being said, because even though it may cause you to do some inner reflection of where am I and how do I see things and what really is my reality, because you realize what you've accepted to be true about this world, which is your reality, how you see things, absolutely will either cause you to find God or cause you not to. And we all want to just be open-hearted, and that's one thing I want to just say as a big um, praise the Lord to the men that I had a chance to get around in the last couple of days at the main camp. Uh, Brother Kerry did an excellent job putting some things together, and and, uh, we just all enjoyed a great time. And I just want to say that I'm sure that those men represent all the men that are in this room, but their hearts were so open and so receptive to what was being said. And you could see real visibly right in their faces that they were getting things that would change their life forever and make them even that much more effective as spirit beings in this world experiencing God, than just being a flesh being in this world, not experiencing Him. So I had a great time, and wanted to just tell off on that to everybody, all right? So turn your Bibles, if you want to, to uh, 2 Corinthians in chapter 6. I'm going to be reading this morning from the King James Version, or the New King James, excuse me, and then also from the Message Bible, that I always say everywhere I go, if you don't have a Message Bible, I strongly encourage you that the next place you put your money, if you're you're budgeting and you're just trying to be careful, where should I put it today? And I got a little bit extra here. I would recommend, and highly recommend, please don't even give in the offering if you need that money to buy a Message Bible. I'm not talking about the offering of the church, your tithes and offering, talking about mine, okay? The fact that the pastor's going to take up an offering uh, with me in mind. Don't even give. Just, just go buy a message Bible. Because you literally will be so blessed. I mean, the other day I took the King James, and I began to read some things in Peter. And it was just so many words put together, I just had to rack my brain around that. Because that's what this means, that's what this means, this means. And I read it in the, in the message Bible, and literally, just instantly, I began to understand exactly what he was talking about. So I strongly encourage you, especially in the New Testament, read the Message Bible. You'll be blessed. So here we are. Let's talk about where our energy, that's a new word for us, where our affections, where our passion is. Everybody has some fire somewhere. You may be about as dull and boring as possible. And yet, somewhere in your life, you can find some energy. For some of the guys in this room, you may find yourself, you know, just kind of going about life, just kind of doing what you do. But I tell you what, when the fall season comes around and the air changes and it gets cool, and you know within a matter of a couple weeks, we're going to be Elmer Fudd and we're going into the woods and we're going to hunt ourselves a rabbit all of a sudden you find some energy that you haven't found and you get up at three o'clock in the morning to get yourself in the woods just so that you're prepared and ready to shoot that rabbit. I remember real distinctly early on in my marriage, you know, Erin, you know, she came home and our schedule was so different at that particular time. She said, hey, I'm kind of wiped out. Do you mind if I take a little nap before we fix some supper? And I said, well, of course I don't care. And so I'm doing some things and all of a sudden the phone rings and she had been over on the, on the, on the couch she sat up and she looked at me like this and she just kind of smiled and she laid her head down. She's just letting me know that she's really going to enjoy these few moments. And the phone rings and it's her friend Jamie. And I said, well, it's Jamie, do you, wanna, do you, want, me to, you know, want me to give it to you? Do you want to talk to her? She said, oh, okay, I'll talk to her. And I handed her the phone and all of a sudden I heard this. What? Really? When? Huh, you're kidding. Right now? I'll be there. And she sat up and she said, Hey, do you mind if if I do something with Jamie right now? I said, what are you gonna do? She said, there's a sale at the mall and it's on for only today. And I said to her, I said, I thought you were tired. Oh, I'm not tired anymore. Because she's got shopping fire. Everybody's got some, a button that you can push that causes you to have an affection, causes you to be passionate, causes you to have energy that you release with an excitement to see something. Mm. Now, before you get so excited, now for just a moment, reflect on Christianity. Is there any button that's so exciting Where such energy and passion and affection comes out of me for Jesus that I actually see something as a result of my energy. Because the only difference from us who say that we know scriptures and somebody else that knows their doctrine or their belief is that we have a living Savior that can actually produce the results of what we talk about. So if there's no results to talk about, then really what's different from your message is someone else's? This is what Paul said when he said, O Corinthians, verse 11 through 13, We have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us. In other words, there's no limitation or boundary because there is no limitation or boundary on God. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections, your own energy, your own passions, your own desires. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Listen to what it says in the Message Bible. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much uh, I long for you to enter into this wide-open, spacious life. What would that say? Is it possible your boundaries and limitations of what you know have caused your life to be like this? When you could open up and it could be things that you've never dreamed of? would always long for, but didn't think you had the right to hope for them? What would limit you? The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Notice what Paul said. I'm speaking as plainly as I can. Now, excuse me for a moment, but if I do my job today... And again, I say, excuse me, because you're not going to necessarily like this, but if I do my job today real well, you will feel like I've pinned your hide to the wall. So can't believe, yes. You say, why is that doing your job? Because if I can bring you to the place where there's only two options, a yes or a no, then you have a choice to experience God. As long as I leave multiple choice on the table and give you multiple options, what has society done for us today? It has given us so many options that we're swimming in compromise. Come on, like water that always travels to the path of least resistance. As long as you have options, you'll always go where it's easy. Strength is not yielding to what what is easy. Strength is is when it's a hard decision to do what's right and you could do what's wrong by doing what's easy, but you choose to do what's right anyhow. That's strength. And in our society, there's really nothing in society that's going to help you to find God. We said this at the band camp. We said this in the morning service. And I'll give you this illustration again today. Probably many of you have never been to New York City. I grew up in western New York, Niagara Falls. I've been to New York City. And in, you know, you could see it... January 1st, you know when they drop the ball, or uh, December 31st, you know when they're doing all the celebration there in New York City, and you can see Times Square, full of lights. And on a beautiful clear night when the stars are out, if you're standing in in, in Times Square, in the middle of all those bright lights, can you see the stars? No. And yet if you went 30, 40 miles west, out into the country, could you see the stars? Yes. Simple explanation. The country is what God made. The city is what man made. And as long as you're attached to society, most likely you won't find God. Thank you, everybody, for that. Amen. I appreciate that. I came up with that illustration on my own even. (laughs) That one went over well. I need the drummer up here. You know? Think about that for a moment. The more attached I am to the way man has spun things out of control where man doesn't have God anymore. Come on, we've taken him out of the schools. We've taken him out of this. We've taken him out of that. we take him out of this, out of that, out of this, out of that until literally society is just spinning in secular humanism in a black hole going nowhere and God's not at all in focus. And the more you subside into, what, buy into, think that this is the way it is. How many times have you heard in the last couple of years this is the new normal? Well, who says so? Who even said the sky is blue? Well, God did, really. Find it for me. It just says he created the sky. He didn't say he created a blue sky. See, we're victims of past generations, whether you know it or not. Mama did it this way. Granddaddy did it this way. Great-great-granddaddy did it this way. This is how we do it. Has it ever worked? Well, no, but this is how we do it. And see, this is the way we buy into things. Now, in the world, we'd, we'd look ridiculous if you kept going back to the restaurant that you always get food poisoning from and you pay high dollar. Why do you go back? Oh, because I just love to sit on the toilet all day long. That's why. And you pay for it? Oh, man, I even tip real, real good. Don't you think anything's wrong with that? See, and all of us laugh because, you know, of course we wouldn't go back. But isn't that interesting how we do Christianity? Is it working for you? No. You keep doing it the same way? Yeah. And does it work? No. Is it supposed to work? I don't know. How come you don't know? Because it don't work for anybody. Thank you, whoever said that. <laughs> Amen. All right, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Matthew six twenty one. Boy, the Message Bible really nails this one. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth, rust, and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. You know what that sounds like, Pastor Mark? Sounds like Brother Hagin when he said years ago, "Whatever. if you don't like where you are today, check up on what you've been saying and what you've been believing because you created it yourself. Doesn't that sound just like that? Come on, you really believe that? Listen, the devil is completely defeated and you're made in the image and likeness of God. Do you know what that is? That's your ticket out of whatever situation you're in, but it's also the telltale of why you're in the situation you are in. Well, the devil did it. Listen, he's been on a 2,000-year vacation. Are you kidding me? Jesus completely defeated him. De-thumbed him, de-toed him. He's like a veggie tail just hopping around. Have you ever seen that one where Junior Asparagus, he threw, you know, he was David and he threw the sling, but he didn't have hands, so he had to do it with his head. (laughs) Hey, Ben, you grew up with kids watching Disney movies, you go to pray in other tongues, it comes out zippity-doo-dah. It's just that bad, amen. You can quote all the lines and everything. Come on, think about it. The devil's completely defeated. I remember John Lake said this, no Christian will ever experience the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ until he first recognizes that the enemy is a completely vanquished foe. There's nothing left of him to do anything to harm you. Well, if that's true, then how come I'm in this situation? Okay, that's a good question. How come you are? Because you've spun it yourself. You're made in the image and likeness of God. What does that mean? You are a creative spirit. Let me ask you a question. If it's hunting season, your family hasn't had food in a week, And you're staring at a deer 20 feet away and you've got yourself a shotgun. Is that gun a good thing? Yes, it is. But if it's in the hands of a four-year-old and it's pointed at a two-year-old, is it a good thing? No. See, being made in the image and likeness of God is an amazing and wonderful tool. And yet it can be the the worst nightmare of your life. Because the things you put your affections on, your desires are, the things you're passionate about and give your energy to, will be the things that you will create. It's kind of like the guy that was found dead in a commercial freezer. Well, obviously, when they did the autopsy, he was what? He was frozen. The only thing that stumped everybody is when they went back to the freezer, they found out it was never plugged in, it wasn't on. Isn't that interesting? A guy came up to me and he said, hey, I want to tell you about my mother-in-law. By the way, my mother-in-law's here and she's a wonderful lady. And every time I tell tell this story, I always make sure everybody knows I got a good one. But I braced myself because I've heard so many mother-in-law stories and I was like, bring it on, here we go. And sure enough, he just started right off the top, hit it full, full speed, said, she's the most cantankerous woman I've ever met in my life. I said, well, there we go. And he said, I'll tell you what, when she got into her 50s, she started feeling sorry for herself and started telling the whole family, the next person in this family that gets cancer will be me. We all said to her at once, Mama, don't say that. And the more we said, Mama, don't say that, that's what she wanted. She wanted attention. So the more she said, oh, no, the next person that gets cancer in this family, it'll be me. Within the year, she had cancer. And in the process of the next year of fighting that cancer, and that cancer getting worse and worse and worse in her life, they, he said, this is, the, this is really very interesting. He said, because when she got Alzheimer's, she just didn't get it slowly. Immediately, she lost her mind with Alzheimer's. He said, now what I'm getting ready to tell you has to do with what you've been preaching. I said, all right, what, what, what happened next? He said, when she lost her mind, the cancer left. I remember 2003, before Brother Hagin went home to be with the Lord, he made this comment. He said, still in the body of Christ, the number one need is to renewing of the mind. Pretty interesting, isn't it? You still with me? All right. Come on, let's go a little bit further here. I want to find out. I'm going to give you some scriptures here. I want to find out some things as far as uh, some similarities in the scriptures I'm going to give you. And before I do, just to kind of cap off what we've been talking about, even the scientists have found that there's a certain compartment in your brain that acts like a file, a file cabinet. And they said the things that you're most excited about always get, get filed in the front of that cabinet. And the purpose of that is to say, the things that are in the front of your file cabinet, you will even subconsciously reach out to create. You say, well, explain that. It's explained very simply like this. If you've been driving the same car, the same truck for, you know, for years, and you finally got to the place, you know, got a raise, you're able to go ahead and get yourself a new one. The day comes for you to go to, you know, to that that place where they've got... You know, all the cars, the the dealership. And of course, you know, they've always got lights, you know, that shine just perfectly on those vehicles that are in the showroom. And you walk in and you see the exact one that you'd really like. You don't know if you can afford it. You talk to the salesman and and lo and behold, you can get the deal you need to get to get the payments to where they need to be. And the next thing you know, your heart seems to go out for that car. And you think, man, that is going to be my car right there. Okay, here's the interesting thing that happens. On the way home, going the same way you always go, and all you did different was you stopped into a place and your heart went out, your passion went out, your energy went out to that car. Now, you see them everywhere. Oh, my God, there's a white one. There's a, oh, that's, that's just like the one I ordered. There's a black one. There's a. Everybody's got my car, for crying out loud. What's the deal? <laughs> what happened? In your file cabinet, that car became important to you and you subconsciously you began to what? See it. Everywhere. How come you couldn't see it before? It was there because it wasn't real to you. It wasn't important to you. There wasn't any affection. There wasn't any passion for it. How come we're not seeing Jesus like we should? How come we're not experiencing the Holy Ghost like we should? Why isn't the grace of God just literally doing everything in our lives? Hold on to that. Okay. Judges chapter 6, 11 to 13, in the Message Bible. One day the angel of God came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, an oak tree, that belonged to Joash the Asbirite, whose son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress out of sight of the Midianites. The Midianites were oppressing Israel at the time, and he was hiding in the winepress threshing wheat. The angel of God appeared to him and said, God is with you, O mighty warrior. Did he look like a warrior? Hardly, he's chicken. Gideon replies, with me, sir? He didn't even recognize it was the angel of the Lord. How come he didn't recognize it? If the angel of the Lord was there, why didn't he recognize him? Because he must have been recognizing something else. Why didn't you recognize the car you just ordered? Because it wasn't important to me until I ordered it. Then what's he recognizing? Listen what it says. If God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracle wonders our parents and grandparents told us about telling us didn't God deliver us from Egypt? The fact is, God has nothing to do with us. He's turned us over to Midian. So where's his energy? It's in his frustration, his anger towards God as he looks at his problem. I've got a problem. (laughs) Well, You'll probably keep it then. Are you seeing that? Are you problem conscious? Because if you are, God's right there. And you're not seeing them. Come on, this isn't being preached at you folks. You can can relax. This is to move you step by step to see something and then begin to what? Help you to know what to do so you can start experiencing God. In the last two years, I've done nothing but repent. I repent all the time. Well, how come you're such a bad person? It's because I'm seeing how messed up my mentality has been in the way that I bought into the way the world thinks, even with preaching and seeing thousands of people healed. Here I've gone for years struggling to see my own body healed. And I finally got to the end of myself two years ago and prayed a really good prayer. It sounded like this. God, I'm a mess. And I'm tired of being a hypocrite. And I need you to change me, strip me down and build me back up. And I said, and I can tell you this, When it happens and as it happens, the first thing I'm going to realize is, is I made it too difficult. It was always easy. Some of you know we got a radio show and we, meaning my co-host and I, B.J. Rickard, a cowboy that found God in my meetings and then just went light years beyond me within just a few months. He said it to me just uh, about six months ago. He said, I really feel sorry for you. I said, why do you feel sorry for me? He said, because when I came to Jesus, I had nothing on my slate. He said, you're so busy erasing all the junk that you've gotten from religion that it causes you to be behind. Well, did you fight him over that? Why would I? If I get proud about it, God resists the proud. If you get humble about it, that's where grace comes. So things have changed in my life. say, what about your body? I haven't even done a thing to it in the last two years. With all the surgeries I've had in my stomach and as much intestines I've taken out, there's no way in the world my, my plumbing would work normal. And over the last two years, just enjoying Jesus and stop trying to put energy into trying to get something, I already have What's working in here is just as normal as anybody else, probably 95% of the time. And that's just a sure miracle. I, I, I saw the surgeon that, that cut me wide open just a couple of weeks ago at a volleyball game and told him that, and he said, yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. How'd you do that? I didn't. Well, how did it work? I got out of the way. How'd you get out of the way? I stopped making it an issue, which is to say I don't believe that I have what Jesus says I have. How did you get the power of God to work with you? I started enjoying my connection with Jesus every day, all day long. And what happened out of that? Well, if I didn't put the body first, but put my spirit first, then wouldn't God, the Holy Ghost, the grace of God, take care of my body? I mean, when did the body really come into play anyhow? Wasn't it only after man sinned? Because before he sinned, do you ever hear anything about the body? No. No, why? Because Adam was born a spiritual being. He had a body. He was a spiritual being. It wasn't until he sinned that he turned himself into a flesh being. And that's what Jesus did. He came to reverse that to give us back what? Spiritual status. Isn't that why it says Jesus is the last Adam? Notice it didn't say he's the second Adam over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. He's not the second Adam because then you'd have a third, fourth, and fifth a whole family of Adams. And that's what God didn't want. He didn't want the Adam family. <laughs> Lord have mercy, the Adam family is so messed up it had things and its... <laughs> all kinds of cousins. <laughs> you all remember? We used to watch it faithfully. <laughs> oh, Lord... That's kind of a throwback, a little bit, for what we all consider to be a fun show. Jesus came as the last Adam. What was he planning to do? He was planning to get rid of the Adams. It went really wrong. It went wrong so fast that Adam didn't even repent. He never tried to stop the punishment to reverse it. He just flat accepted that from now on I'm a flesh being and the law of Genesis took over and and when you put a seed in the ground it reproduces after its own kind and then the whole earth is reproduced after flesh beings. And no one even realized that we were supposed to be spirit beings and you're not even supposed to pay attention to this flesh. God does that. Out of your belly flows rivers of living water. Where do you think those rivers go? Well, they got to go through your body first. How do you know that? Well, look at the last Adam. He's up on the mountain, and what was inside of him came out of his pores and went through his face and brought glory on his face and caused his clothes to shine like the sun. Before it touches somebody else, it comes through you. You just spend time with the spirit man, spend time with your connection with God, and your body is perfectly fine. Why wouldn't it be? Didn't he take your infirmity and bear your sickness? Or did he leave some around just to pester us? One girl came a couple of weeks ago, and she came up. She was one of the last ones. She said, I said, so what's your problem? She said, well, it's a biggie. I said, well, God's shaking in his boots, so go ahead and tell me. She said, well, it's hepatitis C. I said, well, God's already healed you from hepatitis C. He already took care of that in Christ. She said, well, I actually believe God's using it for some purpose. I said, then go sit back down. And she wouldn't move. I said, go sit down. And she wouldn't move. I said, who poisoned your mind? Because you aren't getting anything until you repent. Turned around and walked away. Pretty sad. Weren't you hard on her? No. I helped her to make a decision. She made a bad one. Does that mean God doesn't love her? He already forgave us of all of our bad decisions. What does it mean? At any moment, she can go ahead and stop, turn around and say, God, boom, there it is. No more hepatitis C. There's no reason why in this service right now, I know I got an extra, you know, 10, 15 minutes before I need to to be done and hand it over, but there's no reason why in this service right now that we can't have all kinds of people all of a sudden just make some decisions sitting right there in your seat. What would it look like? Probably somebody running to the bathroom to check and see if that growth is there anymore and finding out it just disappeared. Somebody getting up and running around the service when you can't run on those knees. Somebody bending over when that back is full of pain and you know you can't bend over a shoulder that doesn't work anymore and you just lift it straight up? Title of this sermon today, I didn't even give it to you because I was going too fast. It's Are You a Bugster or Are You a Christian? Now I realize Bugster is a made-up name, but you're going to really like it when I get to the end of it here in just a couple of minutes and tell you what that means. All right? So here we've got this guy. That's, that's the first example. I don't even have to give you a lot more because you really got it. But here's the second example. It's a bunch of Pharisees trying to trap Jesus as they always did. And Jesus said, New King James Version says, but you, have, have not, uh, but you do not have his word, God's word, abiding in you. Because whom he sent... Him you do not believe. Jesus talked about himself. You search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. The Message Bible is going to help you. Listen to what it says. You have your heads in your Bibles constantly. Well, isn't that what I'm supposed to do? If I only told Brother Hagin's stories up here, what would that say? I probably don't have any of my what? My own. If all I ever do is use Scripture, what's the possibility it says you've never let Scripture help you to find God? So all you got is Scripture. You don't like the Scriptures? I love them. But I had to make a change in the way that I viewed them a couple years ago. And realize it's not just about reading scriptures and speaking scriptures and reading more scriptures and speaking more scriptures and reading scriptures and speaking scriptures and listening to them on headphones and everything else. Do you say you don't do any of that? No, I actually have the Message Bible on headphones. I love it. Well, then what are you trying to say? There's a purpose of the reason why those scriptures are there. And it's not for you to just have scriptures. The scriptures are a roadmap for you to find God. Like we said this morning, it's a recipe book, you know. And you say, I love Betty Crocker recipe book. I mean, I hold it to my chest all day long. It's my favorite book in the world, and I've literally memorized every single recipe Betty's ever made. <laughs> well, how come you're like 85, 90, maybe just 100 pounds, and you probably should be 140 pounds? You look like you're really sick. Do you ever eat? Oh, I, don't, I never eat. No, I don't eat. Do you cook? I don't cook but I love Betty Crocker cookbook, though. Would you like to meet Betty? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I love the cookbook. I got it all memorized. What's the purpose of Betty Crocker cookbook if you're not going to use it? Cook, for crying out loud, and eat it. Right? I mean, are we having a problem with that example? No. And how absurd to think, that you would love it, you would memorize it, but you wouldn't eat, and you'd die of starvation. Well see, I'm reeling you in, sorry that I'm kind of, you know, sucking you into this story and then have to relate it to Christianity, but that's exactly what we do with God. Oh, I love my scriptures. I got them posted up all over the house. I mean, I, there's nowhere where I go, even in my car, where I can't look and see a scripture. Well, how's it working for you? What do you mean? Well, how's that working for you? Well, I still don't get what you mean. Do you have a lot of drama in your life? Do you have a lot of unrest in your life? Is there a lot of sickness in your life? Have you ever heard God's voice? Have you ever felt his presence? Do you ever walk with him and talk with him and like do stuff with him all day and enjoy him? I don't really know what you're talking about. Oh. Hey, man. Well, I'm going to make a quick getaway. Where's my door? After the service and I'll never be invited back. Okay. So what it says in the message, Bob, I can do this quickly. It says, uh, but you missed the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. And here I am standing right before you and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. I'm not interested in crowd approval, and you, and you know why? Because I know you and your crowds. I know that love, especially God's love, is not your working agenda. I came with the authority of my Father, and you either dismiss me or avoid me. If another came acting self-important, you would welcome him with open arms. How do you expect to get anywhere with God when you spend all your time jockeying for position with each other, ranking your rivals and ignoring God? What are we seeing about these two passages? that they had opportunity with God standing right there to embrace Him. And both of these passages show you that people's affections blinded them to the reality of the thing that they really wanted, but they weren't willing to accept. Isn't it so? The next one, listen. One day, and this is over here in Luke 18, one day, one of the local officials asked him, saying, good teacher, what must I do to deserve eternal life? And Jesus said, why are you call me good? No one is good except God. You know the commandments, don't you? This is a message Bible. Don't, uh, no illicit sex, no killing, no stealing, no lying. Honor your father and mother. He said, well, I've kept all those for as long as I can remember. When Jesus heard that, he said, then there's only one thing left to do. Sell everything you have. Give it away to the poor. You will have riches in heaven. Then come follow me. This was the last thing the official expected to hear. He was very rich and became terribly sad. He was holding on tight to, the, to a lot of the things and not about to let go of them. Seeing his reaction, Jesus said, you have any idea how difficult it is for people who have it all to enter into God's kingdom? I say it's easier for uh, you to thread a camel through a needle, uh, needle's eye than to get a rich man into God's kingdom. And what do we have there? The materialism of the world, the way the world has made you think, has so uh, captured your attention that you're not willing to let go of it to have God. Are you a bugster or are you a Christian? Pretty interesting, huh? All right, let me get right to the heart of that as we close. Uh, a few weeks ago, my wife, Erin, she went with some friends down to Florida and enjoyed herself. And then, of course, I'm Mr. Mom, you know, with, with uh, three girls. And that's before my oldest had gone off to college. And uh, Allie and I, my oldest, we had gone to the ranch out there where BJ's ranch is, and we had done some shooting, you know, out, out there in the, in the woods. And um, she's a pretty good shot. And so all the girls... Wanted to go and do some shooting, shoot some guns and stuff, shoot some rifles and all, and handguns. And so uh, we set up a time and all of us went. My youngest is 13, middle is 16, oldest is 18. So we went and um, we put, we had this big lake that we were around and we threw all these floatable things in it and the wind was blowing them this way so they were moving targets. And it was really cool. And we'd sit up there, you know, with 22 guns and just, and just shoot these targets. And, come to find out, my girls are amazing shots. I mean, and of course, you know, BJ always likes to rib me, and uh, he made it very clear that they probably were better shots than me. But anyhow, they were great shots. I mean, you know, from at least here to the wall away, they're hitting a little rubber ducky and bringing that thing, binging it right up in the air about four feet. I mean, pretty good shots. it was their first time to shoot. Anyhow, uh, when we first got there and got ready to shoot, uh, Drew started looking at all the bugs that were flying around and just kept going like this you can't have fun shooting if you're all into bugs. So BJ just said, wait, 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 wait. He goes, listen, girls, listen to what I'm going to say. All right, guys. He said, because he calls God the guys. He said, all right, guys. He said, we're going to have a lot of fun here. And of course, no one's going to be hurt. And we trust you for that. And uh, having fun like we are, we can't be worried about bugs. So just take care of the bugs. Thank you very much. And he said, girls, do you believe that? And they said, Yes. He said, do you believe that? Yes. And he looked at Drew and he said, so we can enjoy ourselves." So we started shooting and all of a sudden there was a bug and Drew started hitting it with the twenty-two while his finger's on, on the trigger. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't swat the bug with a twenty-two rifle with your finger on the trigger. And so that was a great chance for BJ to step in and said, uh, Drew. She said, yeah. Didn't we pray? Yeah well, then why wouldn't grace be everywhere to take care of the bugs? He said, you know, you may have been a Christian yesterday, but today it's pretty obvious you're a bugster. (laughs) Because if you're going to be more concerned about things of this world and bugs, then you can't enjoy God's grace. How could you? Your focus is on bugs. But if you really believe that God is here and he answered our prayer... You can have an amazing time and not even know that they're there. And all of a sudden, boy, that really started to make me think. Bugster, Christian, Bugster, Christian. Drew's now working for him, goes out there and works on the ranch. And Allie laughed, my oldest laughed, when she heard that Drew was going to go out there and work. Oh, my God, Drew can't, you know, she's not going to last in a horse stall, you know, with manure. And, 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 and oh, my goodness, I mean, she, she can't do any of that work. And Drew wore Allie's boots on purpose that Allie didn't take to school. <laughs> <laughs> and, and at one particular point, you know, Drew was walking around a big pile, you know, of manure, and BJ said to her, he goes, what did you walk around that for? She said, oh, I, I don't want to step in it. He said, whose boots are you wearing? She said, Allie's. He said, then stand in the middle of it, give me your phone, and let's take a picture and send it to her. (laughs) (laughs) And this is perfect for Drew, because her first lie that she ever had was when she was two years old. And they're out on the trampoline, her and Allie. And, you know, Aaron looked at her, and she'd be doing this, you know. And she'd call out, and say, Drew, do you got to go potty? No. And so they're playing some more, and she's watching her wiggle around. She said, Drew, do you got to go potty? No. And so finally, she's seeing her really wiggle, and she said, Drew, come in here. And she came in, and she pulled her pants. Drew, you said you didn't have to go potty, but you went potty in your pants. No, I didn't. Allie did it. So it was perfect, you know, to take the picture of her standing in the you know, manure with Allie's boots on it. This is perfect. So Drew determined not to be a bugster. So she's out there cutting wood on her own with bugs everywhere, even big old caterpillars. And she took it and threw it and said, I'm not going to be a bugster. But at the same time, when she got there, within the first, you know, 10 minutes, she sneezed about 30 times. And BJ says, oh, Allergies? You must be a grasser. (laughs) Because when we were all out there, he told us a story about a lady that came to get a couple bales of hay. And she came to get a couple bales of hay, and she said, you know, if you don't mind, could you put it in my car, because, you know, I I don't do really good around grass, especially fresh grass like this. She said, my allergies will just go through the roof. He said, I thought you were a Christian. She said, well, I am. He said, no, you're not. You're a grasser. (laughs) She said, what? What? He said, you're a grasser. Why would a Christian have problems with allergies when God's living in them and grace is everywhere? If your focus is on grass and allergies, then you're creating that, and that's not a Christian. She said, well, I don't want to be a grasser. He said, well, then roll around in it and prove that you don't have to be one. She starts rolling in it and doing snow angels in the grass. She says, hey, I'm not even sneezing. He said, why would you? Grace is everywhere. Three hours later, she called him and she said, you know what? I didn't swell up. I'm not stuffed up. I'm not a grasser anymore. I'm a Christian. So BJ took Drew. This is the way that he would think. in the little four wheeler they're in, you know, open, all open to the air. And he said, okay, if you're going to sneeze, here you go, Grace. Here's a project for you. Either cause her to sneeze her brains out or do something about this. And drove around in the fresh-cut grass, making nothing but all kinds of you know dust kicking up in the air, and she's sneezing and sneezing and all of a sudden. It's the end of being an aggressor. So wherever our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So then you have to ask yourself the question: If there are no limitations, why am I living like there are limitations and boundaries? Am I a grasser? Am I a painster? I mean, I just got pain all the time, and I just, I just expect it. I just feed it. I just carry around all kinds of drugs just to make sure in case a pain comes up, I got something to stop it. Painster. I'm a diseasester. I just feed on it. I mean, I've had it for years, and I've just learned how to deal with it. I'm just a diseasester. I'm just a painster. I'm a drama queenster, you know? I mean, nothing but just drama everywhere, just buying into everything. I mean, I can create more collateral damage in ten minutes than, than uh, born identity. <laughs> Come on, think of it. Let your mind go for a second. Where is it that you find strife, drama, unrest, Where is it that you find yourself being frustrated? And then look and see if you give energy to it. If you build yourself a bonfire with worldly energy and here you are a spirit being, a Christian, building fleshly bonfires, wondering why those things stay in your life when grace is everywhere. Come on, what did the Scripture say right before one of our favorite verses in the faith camp, which is, I walk by faith and not by sight. What's the verse that comes before it? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What's that telling you? The less concerned I am about the body, the less conscious I am about the body, the more conscious I am of God. A lady came into service just a couple weeks ago, and I'm right on time. A couple weeks ago, and I tell these stories. Maybe some of you will kind of be afraid to come down here and let me lay hands on you. (laughs) But I'm a really nice guy. I just, I just have to see things straight now, see? Because the more absolute you are, the more you find God. The more you spin it, you won't find him. So this lady comes down, and I said, okay, what's your problem? She says, well, I've got a hip sc- surgery scheduled in a couple weeks. I said, well, then go sit back down. You don't need prayer. You already got your answer. And I turned around and walk away, and I look back and said, why are you still standing here? She said, because... Uh, You know, I I wanted prayer. I said, well, you want me to pray for you? But you've already got a decision made elsewhere? I said, doesn't that sound like James chapter 1 where it says it's like the waves of the sea tossed to and fro, let not that man think he receive anything of the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. I said, doesn't that sound like that? You want me to buy into that? How can I pray for that if that's what you want? I said, because nothing will happen, then you'll blame it on God. And I said, it's not going to help you. I said, so go sit back down. And I went over to somebody else and she stood there. And I went back and said, why are you still standing here? She said, because I want prayer. I said, am I led to believe by your persistence to stand here that you really want this to be done and you don't need the surgery in a couple of days or a couple of weeks, but you want God to do surgery on you right now? She said, yes. I said, it's about time you make up your mind. Put my hand up there, she falls out in the spirit. She gets back up in seconds and she gets back up and she starts walking around like this. And I said, is that the best you got? It doesn't look like you believe anything. Where's your conviction? Didn't God just touch you? And I said, come here. And I brought her over to the aisle. I said, I'm looking at an aisle right now with stairs at the end. You can either run down those aisles and hurt like crazy, but hey, you already got your surgery scheduled, so just go have it. Or run down that aisle and be completely well because you are, and you can have God's surgery right now. She said, I want God's surgery. Well, I grabbed her hand and started running, just drag, you know, dragging her down the aisle. And we got to the aisle and said, are you done? She said, no. We kept on running, one lap, two lap, three lap, and she's laughing and rejoicing the whole way. Of course, she's out of breath, too, because she hadn't done that in a long time. And then she comes, and she, I let her go, and she got really you know, really into it, so she wanted to run up on stage and show everybody what God had done, and she runs up and hits the top step and face plants right in front of the whole congregation. I mean, just pfft, sprawled out like that. I couldn't help but laugh myself. She jumped up and said, I'm okay. God healed me. And she comes running down, dancing, praising the Lord. Now I'm getting ready to go over here. And she goes to sit down. I said, no, don't go sit down. Because another lady right here needed her hips healed. I Pulled out a $5 bill and I said, you know, because I have this and I'm so aware of it, I could give it to you, couldn't I? She said, yes. I said, Are you sure you have your healing? She said, I am. Are you aware that it's real? Oh, my goodness, yes. I said, Then why don't you give it to her? She walked over and touched this lady. Bam! Power of God hit this lady. It instantly was healed. So I told everybody, After the service, I'll be up here. And I said, Dear lady, you come and work with me. We're going to get people healed after the service. She went and sat back down, pastor came up, closed the service down, and someone got in front of me when I had a whole line of people to minister to and was talking to me, and I just happened to glance back, and here she is going, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And I'm thinking, go ahead, because it was real to her. If the blinds, by just putting our attention on the Lord... And cutting ourselves free from the things that we just bought into that are real, that have nothing to do with God, could be opened. What's the possibility you could be going, oh my goodness, God, you're really real. You are the God of scriptures. And all of a sudden, that moment, you'd have a personal relationship instead of just modern religion.